Canada's most populous province has introduced vaccine passports. Despite initially refusing to bring them in, Ontario has reluctantly jumped on board. Will it make a difference? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. Quebec initial, initialized the idea to allow those double vaccinated to access non-essential services and events like restaurants, concerts, sporting events. When you look at the polls on vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, and mandatory vaccinations, the majority of vaccinated Canadians support their use. While COVID can break through those who are double vaccinated, nine in 10 of COVID patients in hospital right now are unvaccinated. Now, during the federal election campaign, the Liberals promised to make vaccines mandatory for federal workers and those under federal regulations, think banks and trust companies. Now, there are some exemptions, such as children under 12 who don't currently qualify. Those with an allergy to the ingredients are exempt as well. Our unpublished I vote question asked you, do you support the mandatory vaccines and vaccines Vaccine passports in Canada. Just 8.2 or 6.2 percent said yes, 91.6 percent said no, and 0.3 percent were unsure. Now, however, you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or the podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and then email your MP to tell them why. Now, joining us to discuss vaccine mandates in Canada, I'm pleased to be joined by Alison braley Retai, Assistant Professor of Labor Studies at Brock University. Jack Jedwap is the President and CEO of the Association of Canadian Studies, and Su Ling Ching is the President and CEO of the Ottawa Board of Trade. And Su Ling, do you feel vaccine mandates are, are dividing us, or do you see this as the best way to get the economy back on track? Well, thank you for having me, Ed, uh, and having the opportunity to discuss this. We have been in support of all strategies that we feel will protect our, our community, of course, uh, but also keep our economy going and keeping our businesses open. So we see uh, the vaccines, uh, the digital tracking of vaccines and policies uh, encouraging vaccines as part of a toolbox, uh, our, our tool in the toolbox uh, for businesses and the community to avoid further regional lockdowns. Now, Allison, do you feel the vaccine passports are, are going to create a, a tiered society, have, have nots, for an example? Um, I don't think that the, with all due respect, the, the sort of language of have and have nots, I think is um, inappropriate here uh, because, you know, haves and have nots usually refers to things like, you know, social, economic, mm -hmm. inequality, you know, systemic um, um, inequality and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, there is no doubt, of course, that people who choose not to be vaccinated um, uh, are going to face uh, hurdles with regard to, at this point, non-essential uh, services, retail, bars, restaurants. Uh, but I, I think it's really important to note that however much it might be difficult for some people because they genuinely are fearful, uh, so forth and so on, uh, it is still a choice that they are making. I'm not talking about people, for instance, who have medical exemptions that are legitimate, it's of course, a different kettle of fish. Uh, but at the end of the day, we as individuals uh, have to, to some extent be responsible for our decisions and how we look at the world and understand the world. 
and uh, a rejection of the well-illustrated uh, medical consensus on the need for vaccination uh, as one tool in, in the toolkit, but probably the single most important if you, you know, had to have just one, and thankfully we don't have to have just one. <laughs> That's really what's happening here. And although those who you know, choose not to be vaccinated and who oppose mandatory vaccinations will certainly adduce and have adduced the language of you know, human rights and, and, and freedom, uh, even our own government officials have talked in terms of things like a two-tiered society. Um, I think that kind of explosive language is inapposite in this particular context. You know, when I mention haves and ha have nots, uh, I, I'm looking at people who who would like a, a vaccine, but because of their probably their economic status right now, they're unable to take time off to go and get it. That's that the sort of the angle I was going on there. Well, it, there is certainly no doubt that um, any barriers that individuals face, and there are some, I mean, we're talking about if there are people who are working multiple jobs and, you know, are struggling between that and, uh, you know, and childcare and uh, that that outreach to uh, individuals who are in that position absolutely has to be front and center because anyone who wants to get one and can't get one uh, should not be, of course, disadvantaged uh, as a result of, of, of a mandate. I, I see that as a separate, of course, question and, and probably not the biggest question here. It, it is a concern, but it isn't the biggest concern. I, I do believe the biggest concern is the very vocal uh, minority of people who are adamantly opposed uh, and that's, I think, where this is really at in terms of the difficulty around this. Uh, Jack, uh, the association has new numbers today talking about the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And it seems the vaccinated, according to your numbers, are starting to lose their patients. Yeah, it's clear that uh, according to the polling we've done, that persons who are vaccinated uh, are very concerned about uh, persons who are unvaccinated. They to a very significant extent, express negative opinions about people who are unvaccinated. So we can see on the base of the polling that there's a, a relatively high degree of tension right now between uh, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Uh, of course, if you ask people who are vaccinated what the solution is in terms of the tension and the relationship between vaccinated and unvaccinated, they'll probably tell you the solution is for the unvaccinated to get a vaccine. So we're in a bit of a vicious circle, if you like, in terms of uh, how generally we see the exit strategy for both improving relations between persons who are vaccinated and unvaccinated and ultimately getting out of the particular situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, the What I'm also noticing, uh, so if you'd like, uh, uh, on the micro side of this poll, right, the sort of big picture is, yes, there's tension between vaccinated persons and unvaccinated, but on the micro side of it, in terms of relationships between friends and family members or co-workers where people aren't vaccinated, uh, there's a high degree of tension. Uh, and managing those relationships, I think, going forward is going to be extremely difficult, particularly in the case of the group Allison referred to, those people who are steadfastly determined not to get vaccinated. Uh, those individuals, uh, some of whom, uh, again, a fringe of whom are involved in those protests, uh, are drawing more and more attention to the underlying, uh, if you like, uh, concerns and uh, friction uh, in this relationship that will require some thoughtful management going forward. That thoughtful management is going to that's going to be a pretty difficult, uh, I guess, task to to accomplish here because if if both sides are just dug right in, I I don't see any middle ground here. 
yeah, it's not going to be easy to find middle ground on this. Uh, I guess the expectation is for those people who aren't vaccinated, there are sort of two categories of individuals, the ones who are unvaccinated for whatever reasons they have, uh, but that will respect safety measures and wear masks and keep socially distant and find ways to live with the limitations uh, that will persist. And then there are those people uh, who object to those limitations will continue to uh, protest either some publicly, a very small group, or find other ways to do so. Uh, and that will be a situation where we, uh, you know, are challenged. For example, in my office, I can tell you right now, uh, everyone's vaccinated. But, you know, if I had a, an employee who wasn't vaccinated, my sort of uh, small group of, of 20 will feel that uh, they can't work in the same office space with someone who's not vaccinated. So that creates a serious challenge uh, in the event that situation arises, it, it, it isn't, but in the event that situation arises, I as the employer would, you know, need to try to accommodate my 19 out of 20 people who are vaccinated who are not feeling comfortable with someone who isn't vaccinated. I mean, I can't very well tell the 19 people that, well, too bad, you know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the law says that I can't do anything about that. So you're just gonna have to live with that person who's unvaccinated and we'll have to sort of wear masks and distance and all the things we need to do in our office. I mean, we are wearing masks anyways, by and large, unless we're in our closed office space. But, you know, uh, those are just examples of challenging situations. Sue Ling, uh, business owners seem to be left in the middle to decide their their own vaccine policy here. And I can, I, and Jack, you touched on it as well, talking about a divide among employees between those vaxxed and unvaxxed, uh, perhaps unvaccinated customers trying to come into, uh, into, into a store and you have vaxxed employees, they do have the right to refuse service. Like it seems business owners are, are didn't really get much of a, a guideline on how to do this. It was just like, you're in charge, go ahead. Yeah. Well, it definitely has been very stressful for business owners, you know, has, as it has been from the beginning when we first implemented contact tracing, you know, they've had to figure out how to do that. Um, and so they've been really resilient. We were hoping for more guidance earlier from the province, but We'll take what we can get and move forward as we can. We're looking forward to uh, the app coming out. We feel that will make things a lot easier. Uh, we, our uh, law enforcement in uh, Ottawa has, you know, has said that they're here for our business community, for those who are the vocal minority. Uh, we really encourage the community. The messaging is that we really encourage the community at large to understand and appreciate that these business owners have really borne the brunt of these countermeasures and that they need, they deserve, frankly, uh, to be uh, extended, you know, patience and kindness and uh, during these times because they're being forced to implement policies. And, and don't get me wrong, they were looking for these. They were looking for an opportunity uh, to implement additional strategies that, the, that they've done all along, you know, including PPE, including contact tracing and screening, all the things that they've done all along, uh, followed all of the health protocols and in order to stay open and continue to run their businesses. Uh, because what we don't want is for them to be for, for more businesses to be forced to shut down and maybe not ever reopen again. So, but what we really do call on the province to do is take it one step further. Our local public health um, uh, organization has recommended that businesses move forward in creating their own vaccine policies, but it's not easy for businesses to do. And not all businesses have the resources, you know, to get legal advice, et cetera. Um, they, and, and businesses are also, quite frankly, facing 
uh, talent shortages and labor shortages. And so if you have to implement a vaccine policy and you have even a small percentage of your workforce who refuse to be vaccinated, you know, you're putting yourself in a sort of a further kind of conundrum. So uh, we would like more uh, guidance from the province uh, on this and, uh, and more support for our businesses to implement it. Allison, I wonder, do you expect there there might be an uptick in, in the vaccination rates as these vaccine passports and mandates become reality? Well, we in fact know that there is uh, some, there was, of course, uh, an uptick uh, in Ontario, and I suspect that's been true in other jurisdictions. Um, and people who, you know, respond to well, any policy, really, but let's just focus, obviously, on the vaccine mandate. You know, they, they're, they're uh, you know, on a continuum, right? You've got people who are, you know, enthusiastic early adopters, and they are like, you know, they run right into this. Uh, they don't need any encouragement. They're, they're good. And then you have people who are, you know, go with the majority, like once everyone kind of is on board, then they kind of get on board, too. And then you have people who are a little bit later, um, you people who aren't that concerned, uh, about it. Maybe they're younger and they don't think it will affect them uh, or they just haven't turned their minds to it. Maybe they're not on the media every day consuming it the way that probably we in this room are. And it's really back of mind to them. Uh, that is the group that is most likely to respond to uh, this kind of, uh, of pressure. They're not adamantly opposed um, uh, but they want to avail themselves of the services that they otherwise want to go out and, and utilize they will respond to it. Uh, and we've seen that happen. And the literature suggests that was going to happen. And it has. Uh, of course, the, the bigger problem is, is that group that is adamantly opposed. And, and there's not a really good uh, way that we know about to reach them. The behavioral sciences have been looking at this question for many, many years. How do you message it to different groups of people? And it's not really clear if there's any kind of messaging that can grab that particular group. Uh, but the group in between, the one that, you know, is just not thinking about it, isn't really concerned about it, hasn't really turned their minds to it, that group um, um, has, in fact, you know, been motivated uh, by this. But I think the other prong of this strategy, too, is not just that it encourages vaccine uptake. That's one prong of the strategy. The other prong is to reduce the opportunities where people will be able to mingle and thereby spread the virus. So we can't measure the success of this kind of a strategy simply on what kind of vaccine uptake it motivated. Uh, we also have to look at it in terms of you know, what effect it had in terms of simply reducing opportunities for spread. Yeah, you know, Jack, uh, you know, when we talk about messaging and, and the federal government will be creating a vaccine passport for international travel, there doesn't seem to be a lot of friction against something like that. Why do you think it is about these provincial uh, vaccine passports and mandates? Jack? No, if I could say, though, and, you know, I think there's an understanding and appreciation for the fact that um, being able to invite foreign nationals into our country is really important to our economy, if I could say, you know, uh, we have gone without uh, international tourists and people here as international students. Uh, a lot of the people that we, um, that we count on for our labor force were international. And so I think there's an understanding and an appreciation why that, you know, that why that has to be done. And I can tell you that, you know, our first choice was to have a national passport, right? Our first choice was to have not a patchwork of solutions across provinces, uh, but we know that um, 
we know that it was better. We knew that it was better than not having anything at all. All right. Uh, Jack is back with us now. We can hear you all right, Jack? Yeah. Okay. Not a problem. That's technology for you. Now, I, I had mentioned to you about messaging and, and you know, we your survey showing 80% of vaccinated Canadians not happy with the unvaccinated. Uh, and we talked about the vaccine passports. A lot of uh, people arguing about vaccine passports. But the federal government is creating a, a vaccine passport for international travel. And that doesn't seem to be getting a lot of play from those who are upset with vaccine passports. Why is that? Uh, well, I'm not surprised some people are going to be upset with vaccine passports, right, because they are creating limits, uh, particularly on that sort of group of people who aren't vaccinated uh, on their lifestyle. And, you know, it's interesting. You you hear all kinds of uh, reasons or justifications uh, uh, amongst those people who reject the vaccine passports. I, I know of people who, uh, when, when learning that they couldn't go to their gym to do their workout, because uh, they weren't vaccinated, that seemed to be an incentive for them to get the vaccine passport uh, after waiting for months, uh, you know, not mm-hmm. doing so. So uh, I don't think there are many other options. The, part of the problem, by the way, in terms of vaccine passports is, you know, they're not sort of universal necessarily. So right now we're letting people coming in from the United States on the basis of their being vaccinated. But you, the United States has a, a relatively well, lower rate of over vaccination much more so than we do. Uh, and so in terms of reopening our borders, uh, we're otherwise we're going to find ourselves in this. Go ahead, Jack. And I think Jack froze up again. All right, Sue, that's all right. We'll get back to that. Uh, Sue Ling, um, you know, when we talk about the business community, the Ottawa business, uh, the Ottawa Board of Trade, in terms of rapid testing, uh, is that an option that should be available to the unvaxxed when it comes to businesses? Or do you prefer just the vaccine passport? Well, we are, so we're proponents of rapid testing as well as another tool in that toolkit. And we have been working with um, our, both levels of our government to distribute them to uh, small, medium enterprises in Ontario. And we consider it to be an additional screening tool. Um, The guidance is, is that they use them specifically for unvaccinated people if they uh, don't have vaccination policy in place, but um, some are perhaps using them for vaccinated as well. And we just see it as an as an extra screening tool. Um, So the preference would be vaccines, obviously, and if not, uh, then to continue to use all of the protocols, including masking and distancing and screening and, and rapid testing. Uh, you know, Allison, I found it interesting when when the idea of at least Ontario was going to embrace the vaccine passport, the unions in the province, Unifor, was for it, saying, yeah, it should be mandatory. And meanwhile, the largest uh, federal service, civil service union, PSAC, it says it's individual choice. Uh, is it who they represent that we're getting two different answers on here? Well, I think there can be a, a combination of things, but I, I don't think it's uh, sort of straightforward uh, in terms of things like, well, you can expect public sector unions to to think one way, and you can expect you know private sector unions to think another way, because in fact, I, I don't think we've seen the responses from the various unions actually mapping onto that divide. So, for instance, you know, uniform 
uniform, Unifor, uh, you know, represents uh, workers in the private sector. Um, and yet, you know, other workers, uh, you know, in the public sector, uh, like the local 113 of ATU or the Toronto Police Services, um, you know, those public sector unions have uh, been actually quite, uh, you know, unresponsive to the idea mandatory vaccinations altogether. So there, there really isn't, and then PSAC, of course, hasn't rejected the idea that their members should have to provide proof of vaccination, but they've rejected the idea that uh, people who choose not to be vaccinated, you know, shouldn't be accommodated. They say people who choose not to should still be accommodated. So there's not a clear mapping onto, uh, you know, private sector will respond this way and public sector will respond this way, uh, because we've seen kind of a, a, a mix up of, of different responses. Is the sort of cross that that you know private public you know barrier if you will, um, but I think with regard to uh, you know some unions like uh, the PSAC, their their main concern um, is uh, trying to balance um, what they see as uh, you know a responsibility to the you know health and safety of their membership, and thereby saying you know yeah we get why you'd want to have a vaccine a mandate uh, you know for for your employees. Uh, but also saying, you know, we have a sort of a legal and, you know, moral obligation to represent, you know, all our members. And so how can we find a way to represent even those who reject the, the, the vaccine um, such that it won't um, be a problem for the health and safety of, of, of others? And so they have suggested alternatives, uh, you know, like remote work or you know, temporary reassignment and things of that nature. Now, of course, not every union has taken that position, some have, like Unifor said, you know, get vaccinated or or risk the consequences. Uh, but I can see why it would make sense um, in the minds of, of different, you know, union leaders, because they're different individuals and they're responding to a variety of different things from both their memberships and their own understanding of, of, of their workplace, which can look different one, you know, one workplace from another, uh, and trying to do their best to represent all those members. And they'll come to different conclusions, uh, therefore. So SAC, for instance, has come to one conclusion that, that differs uh, in, in some important respects from, from Unifor's um, uh, conclusion. Uh, but both of them, I think, are, are like all uh, unions representing their membership, trying to figure out what the best way to live up to their legal and moral obligation is, which is to fundamentally represent um, each member, even if you don't always agree with the position that each member would want you to take on on a certain issue. Jack, uh, we, we've got breakthrough uh, infections. The double vax can still get COVID. They can still transmit it. How does this impact the passports? Well, I don't know that it's going to impact the passports per se. And, you know, we need to look uh, very closely at uh, the uh, breakthrough uh you know, virus and, to, and, and determine uh, how and to whom that's occurring, right? For the most part, uh, in terms of who's in the hospitals right now, uh, by and large, 90% plus are people who are unvaccinated. And it's very hard for someone who is vaccinated to, to be a transmitter or spreader of the, of the virus, quite obviously. So we need to be careful about disinformation in that regard. Right? Uh, to get back a lot to an earlier point, and now that I fixed a technological problem, which I apologize <laughs> for, uh, regarding the whole issue of the passports and underlying that, as I was trying to say before, uh, the matter of, of incentives, right? So it's carrots and sticks, as we've occasionally referred to what we are using in terms of getting people to get vaccinated. Clearly, the passport represents uh, more of the stick side uh, in terms of the approach to getting the unvaccinated, uh, the shot, so to speak. Uh, but 
as Allison mentioned before, in terms of some of the behavioral studies and reaching out to people who are unvaccinated that are sort of, if you like, hardline in terms of their refusal to get vaccinated, uh, we've run out of carrots, so to speak, as a society. And so in that regard, uh, really, the the stick seems to be the only solution, you know, as, as, as challenging as it may sound. I mean, the stick metaphor isn't exactly your best metaphor. No. Uh, but uh, you know, this is going to be a, a persisting and, and, and significant problem going forward, because, again, as I mentioned before, from the standpoint of those of us who are vaccinated, the solution to getting out of this crisis and returning to some semblance of normality, whether it's in the economy, just in our day-to-day relations and interaction with each other, is for those people who are not vaccinated to get vaccinated. Uh, uh, And as we can see in terms of what's going on south of our border, which I alluded to earlier, that's an even bigger challenge. So in terms of our border reopening, are we going to indefinitely only allow people to cross our border if they're vaccinated? Uh, You know, how uh, can we do that indefinitely? Uh, Probably not. So Right now, uh, I don't see any other solution or hear any other solution other than, you know, continuing to work to get the maximum number of people vaccinated. You know, Sue Ling, I am wondering if part of the problem in terms of messaging, too, is with the people who were against the vaccine passports is that they seem to think it's going to last forever. It's only supposed to be around until we get out of this thing. Right. So do you think part of that's the messaging that's not getting through? Uh, That's an excellent point. And I was thinking that earlier, you know, we're just trying to get to the end of this fight. And and none of us know what it means. I mean, I thought we'd be done in June 2020, (laughs) you know, so uh, who knows where it's going to be. So what we need to do is set ourselves up for success based on the information that we know today. And the information that we know today is that our health experts are saying this is our best path forward at this time. And so, uh, You know, some people may not be able to join the same services because, as Allison said, they've made a certain choice. But what we don't want is for all of us to be forced into a choice that we don't want to make, which is, you know, lockdowns, not being able to keep our businesses open, not being able to keep our kids in school. And quite frankly, there are a lot of harms that have come out of these lockdowns that none of us really intended or wanted either, you know, including the state of our mental health as a society. Uh, and, you know, uh, for entrepreneurs, people that have lost everything, uh, people have been isolated. And so, and so I think, and I think you're right. I think we need to look at this as a short-term solution uh, as the situation continues to evolve and make the best decisions we have with the information we have at the time. Well, folks, uh, a great discussion once again about our vaccine mandates. I want to thank our guest today on Unpublished TV, Allison Braley Ratai, Assistant Professor of Labor Studies at Brock University. Su Ling Ching is the President and CEO of the Ottawa Board and Trade, and Jack Jedwa, President and CEO of the Association of Canadian Studies. Coming up on the next Unpublished TV, the two Michaels are back in Canada. What's next for Canada-China relations? Thanks for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.